Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. I'm Matthew Darlitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy. And as always, with one of the smartest people on the planet, Richard Hill... Well, I tell you, it's great to be here, but I think we're going to find out that uh, I'm well down uh, and at least the second smartest because we have got a fantastic <laughs> guest with us today who yeah. I've always just sat and listened to with great awe of what he knows and how he translates what he knows into mm. just really functional, beautiful stuff for human beings and couples. Is anyone yeah. guessing who it is? You better put us out of our misery, Matt. All right. So superseding Richard as the smartest person on the planet, <laughs> we've, got, we've got Stan Tatkin, uh, who's a clinician, researcher, teacher, and developer of a psychobiological approach to couples therapy. I would imagine that most people are familiar with Stan Tatkin, and he is the nicest guy on the planet as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really nice. We'll go over and talk to him in a second, but of course, just we need to remind you all uh, that th it's great. We love doing these podcasts and it's so good to talk to and make friends with people all around the world. And we hope if you want to support us, you can actually support us by benefiting yourself and joining us at the Science of Psychotherapy Academy, where you can look at hundreds of hours of material we've got. And we're turning some of these podcasts now into collections mm. uh, with a question and answer. So you can get a certificate that you can use as CEU. So this is something that we're working at at the moment because we know how important it is to just learn and learn for the sake of learning, but it's also really useful to have these certificates that we can use with our professional organisations and so on and so forth to maintain our various memberships and licences. We, we understand that's important. So we're doing our best to facilitate that as, as much as we can. I think there's, there's a couple of hundred hours of CEU certificate stuff on the Academy now. And we're there is. more. There's lots of hours and you people do spend a lot of time listening to us and uh, and reading our material. So we thought, well, you know, you should get a certificate for all of that. We would send you a present and, a, and a, you know, sort of steak knives and a beer, but uh, but that's yep. weird. Anyway, we, we must not get too carried away and, and forget our main mission, which is to go and talk to Stan Tatkin, and we're going to do that now. Stan Tatkin, thank you so much for joining us once again here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. So good to see you. So good to see both of you. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's lovely to see you, Stan. Always lovely to see you. Uh, now, it's difficult because you're really busy uh, and there's, there's lots of things going on, but we wanted to just catch up with you about um, the variety of things. I know you've been writing, I know you've been talking, you've been, I've been working very hard with people. Um, can you just give us a little bit of an insight uh, about what's exciting you uh, right at the moment? What's, you know, sort of really grabbing your attention right now? Well, we've been doing a lot of training, uh, training of therapists since COVID. We've been doing everything online. So uh, I don't know if that's exciting, but, <laughs> uh, but it, it is nice to get the word out and to, you know, to, to attract people into this, uh, this work. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, uh, in the work, what's been exciting me has been the, the focus, the further focus on, uh, on uh, not just uh, couples, but the human condition, and uh, and following that uh, through studying 
you know, uh, anthropology, uh, you know, uh, uh, biological anthropology, cultural anthropo anthropology, and uh, neuroscience, um, and uh, and and politics and history, uh, and that has really, uh, you know, opened my eyes quite a bit, uh, you know, in a different way, as uh, as we apply you know, uh, the PACT approach to couple therapy, um, mm -hmm. which, you know, is a psychobiological approach, meaning that it's a developmental approach that follows uh, brain development uh, from infancy to uh, to old age. Uh, now, this is something that we've been, you know, on about for a long time, getting a broad context, which it sounds like what you've been doing, you know, even looking at history um, and being able to see the client within the broader context of, uh, well, I mean, ultimately the world. Yes, yes. And and going beyond, uh, you know, uh, personality theory, attachment theory, even going beyond, uh, uh, you know, some of the, the work that we've been focusing on up to this point, which has been, again, along the lines of arousal regulation, developmental neuroscience, and attachment. But uh, I've been finding sort of a greater understanding, at least I think, uh, um, about the human condition and what I see in systems and what I see in particular in couple systems and dyadic systems that seems to uh, be uh, of, of a greater matter than, uh, than personality or attachment. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm wondering, I would like to sort of dive deeper into that, but before we do, um, I'm wondering if we could just, for those that don't know about PACT and, and, and your approach, if you could give us a sort of a, a brief tour of your approach to couples therapy. Well, it is, um, uh, you know, it, like I said, it's a psychobiological approach. So, uh, so there's a uh, there's a lot of emphasis on on uh, one's developmental trajectory, and so that has to do with the first 18 months of life, uh, the first five years of life, um, all the way up. Uh, we uh, very very interested in what happens to people of what age uh, in terms of their development. We're also looking at what people can and cannot do. It's a capacity model uh, based on uh, on social emotional acuity. Uh, some people are better at reading faces than others. Some people are better at uh, using prosody than others. Uh, some people are good at reading interoceptive cues. Others not so good, and so on. So there's that there's that neurobiological piece um, that that uh, sometimes has to do with hardware, sometimes has to do with software, depending on on what it is. Uh, and then we we look at um, at uh, people's attachment, uh, which is just safety and security. It's not a personality uh, uh, theory. It's uh, an adaptation to one's environment starting in, in infancy. And uh, that ad adaptation continues, albeit modified, uh, possibly uh, through other relationships throughout the lifespan. And that really just has to do with how one feels when they begin to depend on another person and what they fear. And there's a certain predictable set of defenses that are employed, whether that person is in the distancing group or the clinging group. If we were to divide people in you know, two major defenses, 
in attachment, which would also uh, follow in personality theory as well, uh, distancing and clinging. But then we also look at uh, one's ability to regulate oneself. And again, there's a neurobiology behind that. So there's one's ability to regulate oneself and one's ability to co-regulate within a system, like a dyadic system. And there are all different variables and variances. So that is that is the the what is it or you know um, uh, who are we dealing with? Uh, you know, the, the, sort of the 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 three pillars, uh, theoretical pillars of PACT. However, the approach is uh, systems, both structural and strategic. It's psychodramatic. Uh, it's uh, we use a lot of informal Ericksonian trance. Um, and there's a lot of social justice theory uh, in our work. Um, there's a lot of psychodynamic and psychoanalytic, particularly uh, American and British object relations, including Kohut. Um, and uh, and and so it's you know we we, we pretty much um, use everything that is that would work, um, but it's all tied together with an idea, and the idea is secure functioning. That's the, the the narrative, that's the therapeutic stance, that's what we're trying to get couples to do is something called secure functioning. And I think right. this is this is a beautiful uh, and straightforward uh, aspect of finding a central a central element which is just fundamental to human uh, to human um, progression. I mean, secure functioning, if you wanted to say, well, how is it that a species will survive, then that's a pretty good, pretty good term to it. I, I really loved uh, in Joseph Ledoux's book, I mean, we talk about uh, development anthropology, the, the four billion year development of, you know, yeah. of consciousness. But he just made a really simple statement at, uh, at one stage of what makes a successful organism. And it's one with a high degree of cooperation and a low degree of um, of disturbance or, or or a lack of cooperation right. and disruption, and so this this aspect of finding security, finding that that sense of uh, of of connection and the drawing towards is this is this also so just moving now so this idea of of things coming together to co uh, create these these mechanisms is that uh, the sort of area we're talking about? Well, it's interesting you you use the word. Um, cooperation that secure functioning is is different than secure attachment secure functioning is a set of behaviors that are that, that are uh, you know amount to what somebody who is secure would would employ but uh but this is regardless of whether you're secure or insecure uh secure functioning is a system that is uh that is based on continuous fairness justice mutual sensitivity, collaboration, and cooperation at all times. Now, that's very, very hard to do for the human primate because mm. we we can be cooperative and collaborative until we're under a certain amount of stress. And when we're under a certain amount of stress, we revert to what I'm calling a one-person psychological system of me, my, and I, and you, you, you. Um, when we do that, we're not particularly friendly. And uh, and if two people are doing that, which is the human condition, that's going to happen. Um, uh, and they don't understand how human beings actually work, 
and they don't repair quickly, they don't fix things quickly, they will accrue threat. And that threat uh, is in the form of memory. Um, that's long-term memory and, uh, and builds uh, as a biological matter over time to where people can hardly even be in the room together without their heart rates going above 15 beats, uh, normal. And so, so th there's a problem built into the human condition where we are cooperative and collaborative um, until uh, it suits us not to be, which is pretty easy for human beings to do. So when we are under stress and we revert to the one-person psychological system, um, are, are we able to train ourselves to be under stress and yet be remain collaborative? Yes, we are able to do that, but it takes a lot of discipline and it takes a purpose, a single purpose. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, if I if I'm unionizing with you, let's say uh, you and and Richard. Um, the union would have to be based on something, would have to be based on a shared idea, a shared purpose, yeah. uh, and a shared vision. Otherwise, why would I do it? And, and it would have to be fully interdependent, meaning that all three of us have the same things to lose and the same things to gain. Mm -hmm. The minute one of us has something uh, one of us doesn't have the same things to lose or, or, to, or to gain, um, that's when trouble can start. And so, uh, and so we have to play by the same rules because it's, you know, it's together we survive and thrive or together we uh, perish. And, and so my ability to cooperate and collaborate with you under stress and duress or, or, or um, you know, in pain um, is really uh, uh, dependent upon whether we have a purpose together, mm. a third uh, idea of why we're together, sort of a shared mythology of our purpose. If we don't have that, then uh, then when push comes to shove, I'll do what is most convenient. And that mm. is uh, that is usually in my own interest. So I'm thinking of soldiers in, uh, you know, in a, yes. in a battle zone and the bonding, incredibly strong bonding happening, but they're also in the incredibly, you know, stressful situation. Yes. Mm. And, and training really is, uh, you know, uh, uh, is, is not about being a hot dog and not about being a solo player. But, uh, you know, look to the person on your left and right. Yep. Uh, they're more important than you. They're going to save your life. And every, everything about the system uh, is interdependent. Same thing with cop car partners. The same thing with the dance troupe. The same thing with uh, figure skating partners. Um, anytime there's a team or there's, there's uh, an organization that is, that, is, uh, that is centralized around a purpose that everyone's on board with, there can be governance. Otherwise, it's a dictatorship or it's slavery. Yeah. yeah. And this, this whole aspect of um, modern culture, uh, taking the uh, capacity for us to have this self-organizing uh, yeah. governance, because we extend into such large groups and, and such large spaces that we lose the... I, I find that people, uh, with clients that I work with, you know, they, they lose partly the, 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 um, the practice at being the one who is actually responsible or to have the response ability to be right. able to, to regulate the, and engage and, and care in the relationship. But there's also a loss of sort of like the permission to do so. Like the relationship isn't working, who's going to fix it? 
Um, so this this can become a problem too. You become destabilized not only in your relationship but destabilized from your own natural capacities. How much of a problem is that? Well, there's there's a central, uh, if I may, just uh, take off from that a little. Yeah. Um, there's a central problem uh, in dyadic systems and uh, in the romantic dyadic system, and that that has to do with biology. Uh, there's a biological matter that gets us together, um, and that's nature's way of saying, you know, procreate. Mm. Um, nature doesn't have any interest in us being cooperative and collaborative. Um, uh, and so we do. Um, and so that gets us into a relationship. And then we, uh, uh, the idea of love, you know, that the reason we're together is because of love. Um, that is a, a, a faulty idea because uh, emotions, feelings are not going to keep any union together. In fact, emotions and feelings are often the cause of, of unions dissolving. Um, only purpose does. And purpose is something that people set as a as the, a bar that they want to achieve, usually in some principled way of behavior uh, that involves character, um, where we decide this is the right thing to do, even though it will be the hardest to, to do. This is the best thing we could do, so say the two of us, even though it will be the hardest to do, because there'll be times we won't feel like it. And, and that's the thing that is lacking in the, uh, in the uh, human pair bonding system is, uh, is having a centralized purpose other than love, which, which, is, uh, which you know, comes and goes like the weather. Um, and, and there's another problem, and that's the attachment system. The attachment system seems to be a biological mandate that tells us in one way or the other, I can't quit you. That's not love. People confuse it with love. It is a it is an existential matter of of survival, going all the way back to infancy. That it's not logical, rational. But if I lose you, I will die. Um, there's a feeling of of that, right? Like of death. And so, people will do all sorts of things uh, um, because of this biological mandate, including being in relationships that are too unfair and too unjust or even abusive. Yeah. Now, one of the things that you first started talking about I, I was... I don't know if I answered your question, Richard. <laughs> Probably didn't. It was beautiful. No, it was, it was great. I just say, it's great riffing. It, it's okay. perfect. <laughs> we'll, we'll edit this, you know, let that out. Matt, let, you. Let, let, me get, let me get back to the, to the first um, principle that you spoke about, and that was developmental trajectory, this word yeah. trajectory. Obviously, you know, it, it works hand in hand with attachment, but... Um, our understanding, I believe, is that neural architecture um, forms in a certain direction uh, depending on our early childhood experiences. Yes. Um, so can you just expand a little bit about once our neural architecture is going in a certain direction, how does that, you know, change us in terms of sort of partnering, romantic, you know, bonding in the future? Well, thankfully, the brain, the, the brain has plasticity, um, and plasticity, for better or worse, uh, sometimes the plasticity goes towards uh, uh, pathogenesis, right? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, relationships change the brain, 
And so uh, we could say that, you know, good relationships and, and uh, in a, in, you know, relatively stress-free relationships uh, can be very healing for the brain uh, in terms of something that Bruce McEwen has coined allostatic load. Um, uh, and, and Robert Sapolsky as well and Janice Kiko-Glazer. And that is the price we pay for adaptation, uh, the wear and tear that uh, chronic stress, uh, you know, uh, causes on all four major systems. And so uh, couples, because they're, you know, uh, they're, they represent true home, they're always together, they're proxies for everybody that came before, they're the closest thing to the originals, have a tremendous, can have tremendous interpersonal stress. And that creates this uh, high allostatic load. So um, uh, that can change the brain as well. Uh, hypertrophy of the uh, amygdala, uh, you know, eroding of uh, hippocampal cells because of uh, corticosteroids, uh, changes in the prefrontal cortex and so on. Um, and then there's, of course, genetics and the way people, you know, uh, you know different brains. But uh, this thing about developmental trajectory in the first 18 months there, you know, there is uh, these the regulatory systems are being built out during that time, and so a lot of people who have, um, uh, you know, self-regulation problems from the get-go may have a, a struggle um, in their lifetime. They can learn to uh, to self-regulate much better, um, but the question of whether someone is going to be really quick on the draw. Uh, in social situations, uh, because of the the uh, uh, experience dependent right brain, that is you know pretty much uh, a center for social emotional function. Um, uh, you know, if people didn't get the nurturing, such as a lot of people who were neglected on the attachment level, I'm not talking about material neglect like Chiquetti babies, but you know attachment level, um, they may not be so good. Uh, you know, in a pinch, uh, they may not be so good at conflict resolution or, uh, you know, co-regulation. Although uh, many times uh, they'll have a partner that is really good and they make up the difference uh, because it's a system. <laughs> uh, and so the system is actually greater than, than the parts. So, um, so it does have a bearing um, on people's social emotional ability to sense things, to read faces, to put names to emotions, to all this stuff, to you know, empathy. Um, but things are not what they seem because I study systems and in systems, we're not as interested in the individual. We're interested in how, how these two individuals create a, this sort of intersubjective phenomenology that is hard to understand you know it's, it's it, the system is reacting to itself and so uh and so it's quite different than dealing with an individual yeah well, the, I, I mean hopefully you'd be really pleased with what we've done in our our new book because a lot of this stuff we're talking yes, about congratulations oh, thanks but but it's what it's what a lot of therapists uh don't necessarily have a good grasp on um, and uh, but it's things like and and Matt and I sort of discovered it ourselves as we went in and, and really sort of got into the to the details and uh, of, of these elements. But things like allostatic load. So you know we we take a, a period of time to talk about that. 
uh, emotions. You know, certainly, you know, I, I've often asked the question at various um, uh, conferences and group discussions, you know, okay, what is an emotion? And there's a lot of stumbling and bumbling around in the answer. So that is addressed and it's terribly important, this idea of empathy. I mean, there's some some wonderful stuff um, that, that we found coming out of uh, Galisi from the, the mirroring uh, the mirror neurons, one of the mirror neurons guys talking about, you know, this and, and the way we engage and the differences between this uh, temperament attachment and then the personality, the, these emergent properties that that come out. And we keep dealing with these um, with emergent properties, which aren't necessarily telling us the tr- a clear story about what elements within the system are having the difficulty. And, and this is really what packed um, the whole process and the different mechanisms you've used, I think, brings out so well. It enables you to sort of somehow pull apart the what's happening on the surface, the arguments or the whatever it is, and go, oh, just a minute, we're looking in here. And then this all ties in with your then gauging. We have to look at the developmental trajectory, as, as which you've just so beautifully described. So much of what we what we do is investigation. Uh, what I uh, tell my students over and over again: we're investigators. Um, the 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 main issue is what is it that we're looking at, not what to do about it, um, because we can't know what to do unless we really get granular. And so so I, I think the uh, job for a therapist is to be a really good investigator and to leave no stone uh, you know uncovered because people are complex. And even though we have our theories, the theories never, never really refer to a real person. Uh, they refer to uh, refer to aggregates of people. And, and, and so the study of the people that are in front of us, and one of the tools we use is, uh, is digital video to, to study, um, you know, use frame analysis to study faces and movements and voices um, frame by frame, forwards, backwards, but in the trainer eyes and ears to, to also watch and pay attention. Um, because it's a, it's a real tricky thing, this, this whole business of theory and, and then what really is. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the thing about empathy is that we know many people think of, of empathy as having to do with a network, um, you know, particularly a vertical network of, of brain areas that have to work in, in, in uh, conjunction with each other, that it couldn't merely, merely be uh, motor neurons. Uh, it would have to be the anterior insula, the anterior cingulate, have to be, uh, you know, areas of the ventral medial prefrontal cortex and so on, and, and limbic areas, other limbic areas, um, to be able to actually feel what you feel, um, which is the deepest kind of empathy. And my body feels what you're feeling. And I moved to do something about it because now I'm in pain. Uh, it's not, it's not, right? That's the deepest kind. And there's all these different levels that are hard to evaluate. Um, in couples, the common complaint is my partner doesn't have empathy. And, uh, you know, there are some 
cases where that you know that could be true ish but most of the time it's a relative thing and it's a perceptual thing that people call out is this person lacks empathy when they have thicker boundaries uh, emotional boundaries than the other person um, uh, whereas somebody who's overly empathic might have affect contagion and may uh, have thinner boundaries uh, and so uh, the, the empathy thing is a uh, charged uh, area because mm-hmm. it's often used as uh, you know as a way to beat people over the head, um, but there are people that actually with poor empathy, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and and they were that way from the very very beginning. And some of those people will never uh, uh, you know become empathic, and some of those people can become more empathic when they suffer. I think suffering is the key. Right. Yeah. Uh, it- so can can we talk about um, some psychopathology here? So I mean, psychopathy comes to mind. It, you, you talked about stress causing a one person psychology. In well, all of there's in in psychopathy. I mean, they're they're always in a one person psychology, right? <laughs> um, in it, well, I ask, let, let's hear from what what experience do you have with um, psychopathy in a couple's relationship? Well, I have a lot of experience with antisocials in, in couples relationship or people with personality disorder and have antisocial, uh, you know, valences. Um, fortunately, I've only, uh, I, I think I've only come across uh, people that I would say have true psychopathy, um, uh, people that would make my blood chill. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I'm not, a, I'm fascinated with it, but I'm not an expert in this area. Mm. There, there, there are certain forms of psychopathy um, that are genetic, uh, you know, literally problems in the, in the amygdala that they're born with, um, but moreover problems in the anterior insula where they don't feel um, they're, they don't have interoceptive cues yes, of anxiety or fear and, and, and they and they don't attach. Um, and many of these people who, uh, who have this genetic, uh, component were also abused by their parents and they, now they have the antisocial piece too, but there is a lot of, uh, there are a lot of pro-social psychopaths, uh, they're in our armed forces, uh, many times. Uh, you know, they're fearless. So, um, so that's about all I can say about psychopathy. Mm. Uh, in couples, everybody comes to the door. I mean, we get everybody because everybody couples pretty much, right. uh, you know, schizoids, borderlines, uh, you know, schizophrenics, uh, you know, uh, antisocials, everybody. So this one person psychological problem though, isn't, isn't about, uh, isn't about, uh, 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 you know, pathology. Um, it's about the human condition. Mm-hmm. Our, we're threat animals. And so our our ability to pick up uh, threat, threat cues through the face, voice, body language, words, phrases, um, is legendary. And, uh, and because um, we're memory animals, uh, and we tend to remember negative things over positive things because of the brain's negativity bias, we're really good at picking up anything that hurts us and remembering it for the next time and then expanding our cue set for picking up threat. That's the major problem. And uh, and if I'm under stress, 
and you are not talking in a way that's collaborative and cooperative with me, I can confuse you as an adversary. Mm -hmm. And I will too start to talk or behave in a way that thinks only of me, which makes you then do the same. Mm -hmm. And that is easier than you think. That happens, uh, you know, uh, immediately. And, uh, and if people don't know how to deal with that or get out of it, then it, uh, it builds. Right. Uh, I, yeah, I'm guessing awareness that that is actually happening is the first step, right? Awareness, if not during it, then just afterwards, which is what apologies are for. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's I mean, what this, making amends is for. Oops, sorry. Yeah, I mean, this sort of brings to, to rise the, just this concept. You know, we talk about a bit of, of the orientation, you know, the framework, the, the, the attitude, the position your mind is in, which, of course, um, tends to determine what you focus on and what you pay attention to, which then in turn um, builds your sense of reality. Um, I suppose right. captured by that one, if, if you're a hammer, um, everything looks like a nail. So because you get also that difficulty of when you become, oh, my God, you know, I'm under threat, that, of course, everything you hear is that you take the threatening aspect of it, you know, right. captured in that also that sort of thing. When someone says, oh, you look good today, they say, oh, do I? Well, what was wrong with yesterday? Right. You know, what do you mean by that? Yeah, what do you mean by what was that? Wrong? Yeah, what was wrong with before? Yeah, and and, and that that thing that I hear quite a bit about different, different cultures, and America seems to have uh, its fair share of this, is it's almost like a population looking to be offended. Um, you know, uh, it does, doesn't it? Well, we see it expressed in there, but we certainly see it um, in a lot of places uh, around the world in different you know, cultures, and it's not broad ranging, and it, it can be in, in different regions and different areas. I mean, the more the more um, the more how you look and so on and so forth is important. The more your external evaluation is important. I suppose uh, the the more you get uh, more easily offended because it costs you. Uh, and and I guess that's where I was sort of leading myself up to. When you're working with the individual, what did uh, the the concern about what the difficulties are costing them, uh, what the risk is that that it is to them, and the couples coming into relationships saying this other person is now a risk to me. How does how does Pack work with this sort of danger um, uh, situation that couples can sometimes get into? We, we actually will put them in, we call them containers. These are little tasks, little uh, games, experiments, play, um, where, uh, where we put them under pressure to see how they will uh, interact. And what we find is that uh, couples uh, uh, think it's uh, about the topic, you know, money, time, mess, sex, kids, and it really isn't. It's the manner in which they interact as soon as one or both of them are under stress. That repeats, it repeats every time. So we could be talking about the kids or the dishwasher and we'll still, the patterns will be the same, the manner in which they address each other. Um, and it'll be at lightning speeds. So we have to uh, we have to bring it to their attention, sometimes with a video playback so they can see and hear what their voices or what their faces are doing. Um, but also uh, coaching um, with their permission, because everything is done by a, you know previous agreement and permission. And that's what we would want them to do as well, is to create uh, agreements 
um, and give each other permission to uh, push and limit each other so they can work effectively together. But but that's what we'll do um, uh, and uh, and start to work with things like collaborative speech. Um, the way I talk signals to you, I'm pointing at you. And so how do we work on the problem without starting to work on each other? Because as soon as we work on each other, it's war. And that's a, that's a very hard thing for most people to learn. Um, it's very natural for us to work on each other uh, and not work on a third thing. If we were in a business or if we were in a team, we wouldn't do that because we know we have bigger fish to fry and we don't have the time to do that. And we have, we have to work with each other. But couples think they're family. And, uh, and, and so family can get away with anything and, uh, and they lose their formalities and they, they forget they're strangers, right? And they stop, uh, they stop doing the things they would afford a stranger, like check information, like uh, you know, certain courtesies, certain things that, uh, that aren't shortcuts. But because we're energy conserved um, uh, you know, uh, organisms, in fact, all biology is energy conserved. We do the least amount necessary. And uh, it takes a lot of effort and consciousness to talk and think collaboratively at all times, particularly if we're uh, fatigued or under stress, we'll revert to speaking in a way that's unfriendly Which or acting in a way yeah. that's unfriendly. Exactly why my kids are a certain way when they're out in public and a different way when they're at home. <laughs> yes. And, and you want and you want that because it would be worrisome if they were like <laughs> angels at home and murdering people that you know out in, out in the world, right? And hopefully not vice versa. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I love the fact that that when you come into a session of yours, it's like coming into a lab, right? <laughs> and um, and the use of video. How do people um, respond to the the fact that okay, we're going to be recording this and we're going to be playing back to. It, 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 does everyone accept that? Yeah, I see. I see celebrities and political people, and you know, um, and everybody says yes. the the uh, The only people who say no, I suspect, are either litigious, paranoid, um, and in some cases, people from some regions, uh, you know, uh, where where they were oppressed by the government, are understandably uneasy. Yeah. Um, but the majority of people. Um, we'll be okay with it, especially because we're using it for our purposes in the session. It's a really good tool. It's also a great research tool <laughs> it, it is. Great, it's, and a great supervision tool. Oh, wonderful for supervision. But, but see, this, uh, I mean, I, this is what I learned in acting school. Uh, there's so many elements of this this uh, necessity to review what you're doing, to look at, to, to be able to take the to, to to take the discussion as discussion and not as criticism. Um, right. The uh, uh, I remember it was quite difficult in in acting uh, because directors would tend to only tell you what you weren't doing right, right. Um, because obviously every and I remember my early stages a director was like that and and one of the senior actors when I was looking upset they said Richard everything else you're doing is good. Oh, oh, I, oh, I see, and and of course, this is something that manifests in relationships uh, as well. This, um, the the destructive nature of criticism, because of how it ties in to those feelings of uh, those traumatic uh, experiences, 
current criticism seems to to um, find its way and light up so many things from the from your history uh, that it, it gets difficult. Absolutely. Again, memory. So, so if if uh, by the way, I went through acting school too. I went to uh, conservatory, so I got beat up a lot. Um, it was a great training, though, wasn't it? For everybody, uh, uh, Ernest yeah. Rossi went to, to he went to the Actors Company. I mean, goodness gracious me, you know. But yes, yeah, so it is, it is. So please, but please continue. Yeah. Um. Uh, but I know from my own experience. Um, I was bullied by an older brother who I love and adore. Uh, and so, uh, so being sensitive to criticism, I know that, I know what that's like. Um, uh, as I've grown older, part of, you know, walking the talk uh, of secure functioning, which I admit is hard to do, uh, is being able to take uh, uh, painful criticism uh, and not do anything uh, except hold it. Uh, it hurts. It really hurts. I get criticized as a teacher, as you know, as a therapist, and as a father. Uh, I get criticized a lot, hmm. and it hurts. Um, but I think it takes a certain amount of understanding. Uh, again, this idea of doing the right thing when it's the hardest to do isn't natural for us. It isn't. Um, we're either trained into it and disciplined because of the the, uh, the culture that we're in, whether it's a family culture or the, you know, we're in the armed forces or whatever, um, or we do it ourselves. Um, either way, it, it, it's hard um, because uh, when we are under stress, we definitely want to feel good now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so your criticism, I'll shoot first and ask questions later because I take it as a threat, as an attack. Um, and I may not even know uh, whether it's good or bad. I just know uh, that it probably isn't and uh, good. And, uh, and that's, again, the human condition, but also memory. So there's some people who are more sensitive to a certain form of speech or tone, uh, a, a certain group of words, um, uh, you know, than others. Uh, and that's what you're, I think, talking about in the United States. Uh, the sensitivity rate here is really high. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. To always try and make sure there's a there's a that raise the stage is what we might say. And uh, <laughs> you know, I tell you, as a teacher, it's really hard because word choices now are extremely important yeah. uh, because every you know we're we're bringing in more and more people who are from oppressed groups to come into the field. And, um, and a lot of these people have been uh, you know, abused. Um, and so the sensitivity is very high to the use of certain words. And, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, and so never before in my teaching experience if I ever had this, but, but this is what's happening, right? And probably it'll spread where you are too. Oh, uh, yeah. And yeah, I think it's really, I might do a very simple exercise. Uh, I think I first saw it with Dan Siegel doing it with, with groups, but we used to do this in, in, in acting school. We just simply use the stimulus of yes and no. Um, so words that have representations, you know, and historic representations. And you could, uh, essentially, you could change the way, change their body functions, their heart rate, their breathing, uh, their sense of, um, of position, body position, their openness, their closedness. 
And so uh, uh, this is something that that is very hard for us to understand if we don't hear the negativity of the words. And I, I got this sort of highlighted to me when I was in a different country and I did the, the yes-no experiment and it didn't work. Everybody just sort of said, oh, well, nothing happened. And then I realised, of course, I was saying yes and no, meaning the English words. But when I said it in the local language, um, then everybody went, oh, yeah, no, I'm feeling this and I'm feeling that and so on and so forth. But it really highlighted the fact that, you know, you know, when people say, oh, that word isn't a problem word, I'm saying you cannot know uh, what language the person is speaking, what cultural, what historic, what what um, uh, linguistic framework, what semantic framework this person is coming from. And right. uh, what you said is is very important, and we've got a lot to learn about that. Uh, you, you, you think about it, you know, um, back in the day, hunters and gatherers, you know, um, what was our vocabulary? Uh, duck, uh, run, lion, eat, um, sex, yeah. whatever, you know, um, sleep. Um, think of the think of the complexity of of our language, uh, and 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 then add to that the you know generations of you know the new generation their language, and uh, it's a lot to you know to kind of keep up with, and 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 the and the 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 likelihood of being misunderstood. Or misunderstanding is what ninety nine percent, and that's an exaggeration. But, but, but yeah, but the, I get the point. But but I, I you know I think that uh, that and this is another problem with the human condition. Our communication is never good. Um, in fact, I really think we're mostly misunderstanding each other much of the time without realizing it, um, because of this approximation of minds issue. Um, and this fantasy that we're always on the same page, which never really are. Yeah. Um, and, and you guys teach, right? Um, mm-hmm. you, you, you're in this field. And so um, how many times uh, you know, did you find that people uh, didn't understand what you were talking about? Yeah. Several. Sorry, Matt, I just grabbed this quick, but I've got a client at the moment who's, the issue is she doesn't think, she doesn't rethink. She's uh, she's um, uh, got a lot of past trauma that causes her to, to try and get that. And constantly she's saying things like, what do you mean by that? And and the other one which fascinates me is, is where did you get that idea from, you know, when I make a comment back? Right. And I say, you said it five minutes ago about yourself. Oh, did I? You know, this this lack of not only communication to others, but really hearing and listening your own language about yourself is is becomes enormously difficult. It is difficult, and I think it's. Uh, I think people are not. I think some people have learned. Uh, you know, to be good communicators uh, and and understand, uh, you know, that it's a great effort to speak to a variety of minds. But this idea that, um, you know, that in any back and forth that two people are actually understanding um, uh, precisely what the other means is false. Um, uh, It it takes a lot of effort to go back and forth and uh, and to air correct. And that's a problem with couples because couples are always taking the the shortest route uh, and think that they say something or think that they were understood or think that they understood and they really they really don't because we're lazy, mm-hmm. um, be included. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's a problem. 
Um, by so, the way, so, memory is another problem. Perception yeah. is another um, problem. Yeah, memory is a huge problem. Uh, but when it when it comes to feedback, because you know feedback is obviously uh, the mainstay of you know couples therapy, and I've been there, you know, trying to get couples to feedback to one another, and sometimes it gets very you know stilted and um, to be honest, disingenuous. And so, what are some of the some tips maybe um, on how to do feedback really well? Mm. Feedback between partners, you mean, or yes. feedback? Yes. Um, Within the diet, the yeah, the couples. See the 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 way I work is um, they're facing each other a lot of the time, and so uh, I'm having them on stage and having them deal with each other, and I'm uh, primarily or try to be as much as I can an audience member. Otherwise, I can't take them in. I'm taking them in literally as if I were sitting in a play or a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and a lot of that is, is emotionally and how I feel at any given moment. Um, but, uh, but they're, you know, they're being authentic and genuine is something I can pick up right away. Um, I pick it up as, uh, as a, a deceptive cue. Um, and so I'll say something about it if, uh, if that's the case, or I'll check, um, as you look at your partner's face, do you believe them? Um, um, as you look at your partner's uh, face, uh, did they, t- did they, uh, did that work? Uh, mm-hmm. Does it look like that worked? No. Okay. So you're uh, almost, almost like the, you know, the frontal cortex, that sort of intervener doing the dorsolateral sort of. The dorsolateral, yes. For them. Uh, uh, yeah. And this is what I was alluding to before, that because we lose track of that, we, we lose the, the confidence to use it or the, the practice to use it. So you're providing that for them that that little observer's voice yes like a parent a parent does that right a parent does that uh but also i'm i'm you use you, you said dorsolateral prefrontal cortex uh, I, I you know i i consider that the do the right thing area um yeah. of you know reality testing and uh you know what is the right thing to do not what feels uh expedient um and uh, and but I'm checking for secure functioning. So secure functioning partners are authentic. They tell the truth. They don't hold back. Uh, everything's out on the table, um, uh, uh, right? Um, otherwise, I have a lot of work to do to get things out on the table. Um, they are, uh, you know, collaborative and cooperative. So they're they're interacting with each other. And as soon as they go off. Um, uh, into insecure functioning of any kind through language, through talks, I mean, through the way they're acting and so on, then I will uh, intervene, uh, say something about it. I see. Um, uh, Otherwise, you know, it's, uh, you know, they're doing the work. Um, I don't go home with them. They go home with each other. They're in each other's care. And so I'm working uh, uh, more as a coach sometimes uh, or a trainer uh, workshopping them by putting them under stress in these little containers. Okay, I'd like it to see the two of you work this out, and you only have about ten minutes, and I'll count down and let's see how you do. Um, or yeah, yeah, um, that, that's and you've you've actually just uh, spontaneously added uh, a terrific little phrase, which is 
so pertinent uh, in, in when working with with care with couples, working with care with your couple's relationship with your um, with your clients, certainly in the space, the time they're in the room, and that's in each other's care. Yeah, and that's the title of of your new book, which which we'll see in about uh, you know is coming up into next year. Uh, is this the area? Obviously, this is the area you, you're talking about. That uh, you've almost given a beautiful pricey of of what the book's going to be discussing. Well, the, the um, in each other's care was actually the first is what spawned this whole thing in the uh, very beginning, when um, I was uh, you know uh, a student of Alan Shores back in the day. I don't know if that even is a, an appropriate phrase to use. Uh, sounds like there was buggy whips and uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> we had to carry um, a horse to school. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, I became really interested in in uh, uh, regulation theory and the idea that that couple therapy <clears throat> had it wrong because couple uh, th- uh, therapy seemed to focus too much on self-regulation of the individuals rather than this. So mm. this was the motion that I started to make that just sort of took off in my head and in each other's care is this, that, uh, that you know, Richard, you're, you're in, in Matthew's care. Matthew, yeah. you're in Richard's care. Therefore, I, I, you know, I hold you, Richard, accountable for Matthew's behavior. Um, uh, I hold you accountable for Richard's behavior because you're supposed to be masters at each other. You're supposed yeah. to be Richard's whisper, Matthew's whisper, right? I expect you to be experts, have a PhD on each other because your lives depend on one another. And that gets into the interdependency thing. Um, And I could make an argument why partners' lives really do depend on each other for health, for financial security, for safety and security, for well-being, for longevity. You know, I can make that argument that that's a real thing. And so so in each other's care is the way it's always been and it's based on interactive regulation. It's based on that we're, that, you know, human primates do inter, we're the only species that uh, that can do interactive regulation, and particularly through the eyes. Uh, all other mammals do rough, rough and tumble. Uh, we do through the eyes, uh, unless you've seen you know tigers gazing at each other. I haven't yet, yeah, but I mean, um, yeah, yeah, except yeah. in Disney. Yeah. Um, and so, th- so yeah, the book is actually um, a uh, a collection of complaints. Um, <laughs> I decided to break it down into all the complaints that I, I've heard over the years mm. and in sections, uh, my partner doesn't do this, my partner. And so it's, it's, it's systematically broken down into the dialogue and the mistakes they're making and the interaction and the dialogue on a linguistic level, then on, on you know, what they could do to correct it and, uh, and so on. All of it, you know, uh, you know un, under the, the umbrella of secure functioning. Um, you know, um, uh, equal... Uh, shared power, shared authority, two adults coming together based on terms and conditions, uh, conditional, not unconditional. Mm. Uh, therefore, deal or no deal. Mm. It's a deal or no deal, as it as unions should always be, and they that's unions that last are are always based on that. And so, uh, uh, and so that's that's the book basically in a nutshell. Never organized a book that way before. Yeah. It's fun. Sounds brilliant. <laughs> All right. Well, it also gave us a bit of a summary, didn't it, Matt? Really, it did. uh, I think that last uh, of, of where we've gone through the last period and 
we're probably getting to probably getting towards the end of our time, even though we could keep talking forever, Stan. Yeah. But, uh, what do you think, man? Yep, we should wrap up. Um, Stan, any last last words before we close this down? Any last words? <laughs> Final, <laughs> um, fa- famous last words. Yeah, be kind. I'd like to, to your thank mother. my mother and my father, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, my wife Tracy, who I love and adore. Yeah. Um, um, well, well, uh, if people want to get a hold of me, I'm at the Pact Institute, P-A-C-T, for trainings, and my wife and I do couple retreats uh, virtually now all over the world. And we have one coming up in Spain this October at a monastery, a five-star hotel uh, in Spain. And uh, we're really hoping post kind of COVID that uh, that will once again be face-to-face with people. Oh, okay. that's something to really look forward to. So we'll we'll make all these. We'll have these in the show notes so that people can can tap in and and go and, and connections to the books you've already done, which is also wonderful. And then we can all sit in anticipation of the next one, next one thank coming you. up. <laughs> thank you, and that's, congratulations uh, on your wonderful book. Oh, thank you, Stan. Oh, thank so, you so uh, much. Yeah. So uh, yeah. we'll say for now, we'll say goodbye, and we look forward to the next time. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Stan. We'll see you later. I just love talking to Stan. Mm. You, know, you, you, you get to the end of a conversation and you go, gee, that was nice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I'm feeling, and uh, wasn't it just amazing at the end there that he was he was just reminding us that certainly there's romantic couples and 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 this is mm-hmm. terribly important, but there's also these um, you know platonic and and uh, business and friendship couples that we have and you and I are great mates we are very dependent on each other and we are very needing of each other to create something more so that was really wise of him and uh, very sensitive so many great points and he's you know he covers so much I mean developmental trajectory capacity social emotional acuity regulation you know adaptation all of these things come together and then and then he applies this eclectic approach taking the practical things that that work that fit with the model and and use them. So, uh, look, well worth uh, looking into if you haven't looked at um, Stan Tatkin and his PACT method. We'll have links in the show notes, so check him out. But for now, I think we've done our dash and uh, we can leave people to go off and do their rest of their day or evening and we wish our best to everybody. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast, and we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to thescienceofpsychotherapy.com.